it's an honor and a privilege to be able to stand and minister the word of an almighty, all-knowing, all-powerful Elohim, the king of the universe. And it's something special to have him speak to us, both personally and corporately. And this message, it was very interesting to me. I've never done anything like this before, but I actually opened my notes to a very good friend of mine about a week after Sukkot. Song Juan Brown and I have together been studying the same message. And as I went to him after Sukkot and we were talking, the Father had laid on both of us the same message for our respective congregations. So it's very humbling for me to know that someone miles away heard the same voice that I heard. And that's why we studied this together. You'll have to bear with me. This It's not a heavy message, but it's personal. The title of this message is Maintaining Victory After the Mountaintop. And so I want to take us back to Sukkot, not this last one, but the year before. And the things that the Father did in our youth and the awakening that he gave them and the fire that it sparked in them and what I saw in my own home of over and over my sons rising early reading the word praying and Saturday nights when the youth would come to my house, practicing dances, discussing pertinent things to their daily lives. Thank you, guys. The scripture gives us examples for us today. And some of the examples of what victory looks like are seen in men like David. You know, when David went out and slew Goliath, he was a boy. And Goliath had great disdain for him. And Goliath looked at him and he said, what am I, a dog, that you're coming to me with a stick and a stone? But we know the rest of the story. And while David was out with his sheep, I'm sure he slung that stone many, not that particular one, but he used that sling many, many times. So he practiced. He did what he was doing. But I don't think for a minute that anyone other than Yahweh himself guided that rock to the temple of that giant. Daniel and his three friends, they were in the court of the king, 
They were sold into captivity. They had their manhood taken from them to keep it G-rated. And even after that, they were willing, instead of feeling sorry for themselves, to stand up and say, you know what, there's certain things that we're not going to eat, we're not going to partake of. And whenever the man that was in charge of them looked at them and said, well, how am I going to answer to my superiors? They said, that's easy. Let's set up a contest. Let's see if Yahweh will come through for us or not. And when he did, he found them, when they were examined, to be, is it ten times better than their companions? Then you have Job. Goes through losing everything that he has. But he still maintains the fact that Yahweh is his creator. And Yahweh is his source. And that all the stuff that he had added to him was not the essence of who he was. But the strength of who he was and where he came from, came from above. And then you have Yeshua going into the wilderness. It is written. It is written. It is written. And he emerged victorious because he relied on the word of Elohim to give him the victory and to intimidate and cause the devil not to have a voice with him. Because the voice that was in Yeshua's ear was the voice of Yahweh's word. And you have Moses. And this one always amazes me. You have a whole multitude of people that are doing opposite of the word of Yahweh. To the point that Yahweh is so angry with them that he's ready to wipe them out. And he offers Moses the position of Abraham. I will make of you a great nation. But as for these people that I brought out, that you brought up out of Egypt, I don't care what happens to them. I'm going to wipe them out. And Moses said, no, Yahweh, please. Think of what it's going to look like to the nations if you do this in their sight. You delivered them with a strong hand and then they're going to say about you, you just brought them out here to kill them. And then you have also examples of defeat. You have King Saul who consistently walked after the flesh. You have Samson who consistently indulged in behavior that was not fitting for judges to behave in. Then you have Eli's sons who again lived for their stomachs and for pleasure. And it's very important to note that we can go from victory to defeat like David did. Or we can go from defeat to victory like Peter. So if you're walking in victory... Don't set your cruise and relax. If you're walking in victory, don't set your cruise and relax. But on the other side, if you're consistently defeated, don't ever think that you have to stay there. See, if we could overcome sin on our own, we wouldn't need a savior. Psalm 103 verses 7 and 8 say this. Let Israel hope in Yahweh. For with Yahweh there is mercy. And with him is plenteous redemption. 
And he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Another scripture says, there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. Yahweh knows he created us. He knows what we're capable of more than we understand what we're capable of our own selves. So when we find ourselves in a position that we can't understand how we got there, the scripture says the wickedness of man's heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? That means to me, I'm not going to know what Steve Hostetler is capable of. And I've got to believe that I'm capable of anything under the sun outside of his redeeming power and grace. And if he doesn't give me the desire, and if he doesn't work in me the strength to overcome the flesh, I'm not going to overcome it on my own. Because if I could, then he his sending of us a Savior would be beside the point. We wouldn't need him. So the sacrifice would be irrelevant. And that's why it's so important for us to understand in training our children, in training ourselves, that we understand I'm capable of murder. I'm capable of anything that a person can name I'm capable of. But Yahweh, my Elohim, is more capable to help me to do right. So what is the definition of a mountaintop? Because this says maintaining victory after the mountaintop. So what is a mountaintop? A lot of times we talk about spiritual highs as being mountaintops. Well, what's a spiritual high? Mountaintops and valleys are the reality of life. Mountaintop experiences can be simple epiphanies or thunderous awakenings. Either way, they are indelibly etched into the tapestry of who we are. I've had both. Years ago, I had a spiritual awakening coming out of one of the deepest valleys I'd ever been in. Walking through valleys doesn't give us a license to sin. However, valleys are often where battles take place. When you look through scripture, many times they had the whole array of the Philistines on one hillside and the array of the Israelites on the other hillside. And in between was the valley of Gishon or in between was the valley of Whatever. So it's important to know that as we go into a, 
as we come off of a time like Sukkot, or as we come out of a time like Passover, or as we come out of a time whenever we feel the Father's presence and we're communing with Him, and the mountaintop experience feels so strong, when we remove ourselves from that, it's important to remember that we're probably heading into battle. And that the strength of the words that we received and the strength of the um, manifestation or the uh, knowledge that was imparted to us is about to be tested. Titus 3.8 says this, This is a faithful saying, And these things I want you to affirm constantly, that those who have believed in Elohim should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. A true mountaintop experience will inspire us to higher obedience. And I'm going to give credit for this one to Song Wan because he's the one that uh, gave me the body of this thought. While spiritual highs can and should be pivotal and life-changing, it's important to understand that our spiritual walk is punctuated rather than defined by them. We need to practically apply what we learn from a spiritual high, but chasing or trying to recreate spiritual experiences can exhaust energy that would be better suited to applying God's word to our daily life. Hebrews 5 says, Solid meat belongs to those of full age. Those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Now, there's a man by the name of Jerry Michalek. Some of you might know who he is, but he is actually a cowboy action shooter. And the speed of his reflexes, he was asked about it one time. And he said, well, how do you measure lightning? And he wasn't being arrogant, but he actually had a draw that was so fast, he could put shots on target so fast that it couldn't actually be caught by camera. At full speed, his gun actually looks like a blur. But the muscle memory that that man has developed over probably 40 years or 45 years of shooting is just absolutely amazing. But he's so fast with that and on target because of use. That's what he does. There are people that can make a weld look almost like machine perfect because they've done it so often. There are swordsmen that are able to cut apples and, and things in half on top of someone else's head and never touch a hair. All of these things require use. And I would submit to you that Yahweh wants us to get practiced in his word and practiced in battle and practiced in walking day to day. So that it's second nature to us to choose righteousness as opposed to falling for the flesh or for sin. Exodus 19, 18 
Uh, so to go back again to the mountaintop experiences, they can be simple epiphanies or thunderous awakenings. Exodus 19.18 says this, Now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because Yahweh descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain quaked greatly. Valleys deepen our resolve. If we don't ever go through a valley, if we're never tested, how do we know what the fiber of a man is or a woman? Romans 5.3 says this, And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. In 1 Peter 4.12, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. In other words, expect it. Expect to be tested. A lot of times we get disillusioned and frustrated and we get angry and bitter because we're being tested. But if we were to expect that, it would give us a whole different perspective when we go through it. I remember years ago I had Coleman riding with me in my truck and we pulled over somewhere because one of my indicator gauges was uh, telling me that there was a problem somewhere. And there was a serious problem in one of my axles. And Coleman looked at me and he said, Dad, he said, I just don't like going with you because every time I do, something goes wrong. And I looked at him, I said, Coleman, if nothing ever goes wrong when you're with me, how are you ever going to know how to respond to things that go wrong for you? It was working shoulder to shoulder with my dad sometimes at 12 o'clock, 2 o'clock at night fixing a combine because harvest doesn't wait. That taught me resourcefulness. That taught me to think outside of the box. Sometimes you don't need a part because sometimes you can't get it. So sometimes you make one to get done. Now, you order the part so that... That homemade one might not last as well or as long as what the one that you improvised with. But it's not the end of the world. And we're going to have to learn more of this as time goes on. It's not the end of the world if you can't go to the store and buy something. There are things in your backyard that you might be able to use that you never thought about needing to use. Because if it's not available somewhere else, you have to be resourceful. So when we go through valleys, when we go through these... Uh, difficulties of life there are going to be times when we need to get resourceful and we don't need to get discouraged because discouragement takes valuable energy and and it wastes time and for anyone who has lived any amount of time you understand time is not a it's not an evergreen commodity Time is expendable for those of us who are human. Mountains give us perspective. So when you get up on a mountaintop, when you get on a spiritual high, you can see down the road. Oh, everything looks glorious. Oh, it's so beautiful over there. But you know what valleys give us? 
focus. Because when you're going through a valley, sometimes one step at a time is all you can think about going through. Mountaintop experiences show us the greatness of Yahweh, and they are unforgettable. Exodus 20 and verse 18 says, All the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. And then I went to 1 Kings 19, and this was to Elijah. And he said, Go out and stand on the mountain before Yahweh. And behold, Yahweh passed by. And this is after, after Elijah had basically set up a contest between Baal and Yahweh. And it was a hands-down defeat for Baal. And it was an undisputed victory for Yahweh. So Elijah, he runs supernaturally. We heard about that last week or two weeks ago. How he ran ahead of the horses and he got to where he was going before the horses and chariots got there. So he was on a high. But look what happens to him. He gets so discouraged after the high that he had just been on that he is actually with wishing for death. So Yahweh said to him, go out and stand on the mountain before Yahweh. And it says, behold, behold, Yahweh passed by and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before Yahweh, but Yahweh was not in the wind. See, one of the things that we look for is we look for supernatural experiences to show up in our lives. And what I began to understand more deeply through this message is a lot of times the things that we're seeking and trying to experience is really not where Yahweh really is. Everything that glitters isn't gold. It says Yahweh was not in the wind, and after the wind there was an earthquake, but Yahweh was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake was a fire, but Yahweh was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. And it goes on to say, and when Elijah heard the still, small voice, he covered his face. All the other stuff was exciting and was fun to see. And he observed it, and he probably got pumped up about it. Man, that's cool. That's awesome. Wow, that's amazing. But when that still, small voice spoke, he covered his face. We've got to have a proper fear of Yahweh in order to walk through the valleys with His strength and His power. Valleys reveal our weaknesses. And it's natural because when we're walking through the valleys, a lot of times we spend more time in the Word. So naturally, we're going to see ourselves more clearly because we're using His lens. Strength comes from climbing. 
But the climbing usually starts when we walk through a valley. Daily disciplines are building blocks. Bible reading, prayer, and climbing is much harder than going downhill. Colossians 3 and verse 1 says, If then you were raised with Yeshua, seek those things which are above. Where Yeshua is, sitting at the right hand of Elohim. Set your minds on things above, not on things of the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Yeshua. When Yeshua, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. And I'm going to submit to you something that was a novel concept to me when I was going through this uh, study. Mountaintop experiences are really plateaus, not peaks. We are only able to see where we have been. We're not able to see where we are going. And in this life, we will never reach the crest. Climbing is also a choice. Plateaus are not easily taken. And the enemy will do all he can to discourage us from taking the high ground. If we are facing the same battle over and over, or again and again, we are skirting the plateau, unwilling or incapable of taking the next upward level. However, we will not be allowed to advance until the issue is resolved. And that's where I've often heard our pastor say this. If you've stopped hearing Yahweh's voice, go back to the last time you heard him speak. Go back to the last time you heard him speak. If we do continue climbing, we have to understand this. The enemy is now behind us and in front of us. He is now lying in wait, following our progress, and waiting for us to get tired, wounded, or weak. You see, when David was fighting battles, one of Goliath's brothers was following David's progress in a battle. And it says that he came on him when David was weary and weak. And it said that David was nearly taken by the giant's brother, by Goliath's brother. And if it hadn't been for some of his mighty men being there and delivering him from his hand, David would have probably been killed right there. And the scripture says that at that point, David's mighty men came to him and said, Therefore you shall no longer go out with us to the battle, lest the lamp of Israel be put out. And I found that very interesting that as I was studying this, a lot of times if we skip over something that we know is important, that issue is going to come 
when we're not expecting it. If we're climbing and if we're walking the spiritual walk and if we're running the spiritual race, we're prepared for obstacles that are coming down, down the path. But we're not designed to have stuff sneak up on us. This is a proactive battle that we're in. The spiritual fight is not a fight of retreat. It's not something that's designed to be fought with something coming to us from the rear. It's something that he says resist. The only time that we're supposed to flee is when there's idolatry or immorality involved. Those are the only two times. The rest of the time, we're supposed to engage the enemy. We're supposed to overcome. We're supposed to vanquish. We're supposed to put him under our feet. Which is another metaphor for being standing upward, standing on top of him. Numbers 33, 55 goes along with that thought. It says this. But if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then it shall be that those whom you allowed to remain shall be irritants in your eyes and thorns in your sides, and they shall harass you in the land where you dwell. We must drive him out. He is a serpent. He doesn't mind following us and eating our dust. Sometimes the climb is not passable without help. Rope, climbing gear, and a partner. First the natural, and then the spiritual. When you come to a plateau that can't be scaled, you might need help to get up there. Pressix, belay, uh, different types of tools. Uh, rock chisels you know whatever it is that you need sometimes the climb is difficult sometimes it doesn't just happen by itself climbing must be prepared for you don't start with a spiritual Mount Everest but climbing the bunny slope and then the moderate and then the difficult will prepare us for the steepest and most difficult battles of our lives And I'm borrowing this statement again from our pastor. Circumstances can come into your life that could tilt you. But you have to have enough faith to accept that Yahweh is sovereign and keep climbing on. Usually, when I've faced those, those circumstances or situations, you know, and I'll just be honest, one of the circumstances for me was losing my mother when I was young. That situation had me so sour and bitter toward a God who wouldn't answer a nine-year-old child's prayer that it took a long time for me to allow him to shine the light of his love on my heart and awaken me to know that he is all-powerful and that he is, in fact, a loving and a gracious and a mighty and a kind Elohim. So that was a circumstance in my life that could have tilted me and turned me away. When we're obedient to Him, when we know that we've heard His voice, and then He walks us through the valley as a result of us hearing 
and doing what he has asked us to do? Do we have the confidence to know that he'll bring us out the other side? Or do we get stuck and mired in the valley or the slough of despond? Are we going to keep on fighting? Are we going to trust him out the other side? Or are we going to get stuck? Because the instructions that he gave us, even though they might be simple, are they too hard? The circumstances that seem unbearable to you may not be as overwhelming to someone else. And when we are at the end of our ability to hang on, when we're angry and frustrating, frustrated, Yahweh can minister to us personally or by using someone else. And we've got to be open to let people speak encouragement into our lives. And we've got to look around. I remember one year at the feasts, I was losing my grip. And Yahweh said, look who's beside you. Look at the struggles that they've come through. Look at who I've put you with. And I said, Yahweh, whether I feel it or not, there's no other place that I can be. And he met me there and ministered to me in a time of need at his feasts. But that's one of the reasons why we've got to be committed to his Sabbaths and his feasts. The days that those doors of the tabernacle are open, we've got to be committed to being there because that's where our healing comes from. In 1 Kings 19, it says that Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so let the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree and he prayed that he might die and said, it is enough. Now Yahweh take my life for I am no better than my father's. And then, as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. Then he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And I brought this scripture in to illustrate how Yahweh himself can send his ministering angels to us in our time of need, when we feel like we'd rather die than face life, whether it's from a spiritual high or whether the battle has been that difficult, Yahweh himself can send someone or some angel or himself or his word into our life to breathe fresh energy and to breathe fresh life into what feels like a dying or a death situation. So Elijah, it says... He went into a cave, and he spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of Yahweh came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? So he said, I have been very zealous for Yahweh, of Elo of, for Yahweh Elohim of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. See, battles are difficult. Victory must be followed by proper refreshment from the water of the word. 
1 Corinthians 10.1 says, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all of our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea, all ate the same spiritual food and drank, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Yeshua. But with most of them, Yahweh was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted, and do not become idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. So all of that, just to say, these, this is the way to walk. You know, when you're in the wilderness, there's a certain way that we're still supposed to walk, even if we're going through a valley. All these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. And that's why I said after a victory, many times when you take that plateau, you're at the high ground for now. But the next thing that happens is you're going to have to come off of it. Where's the water? It's in the low ground. You've got to stay in the word. You've got to. But when you come off of that spiritual high and you're needing spiritual refreshment, you've got to go through the valley to get it. You're not going to stay on the plateau and just wind up being able to just bask in a situation indefinitely. I would just like to add one clarification uh, to go along with what Saba was saying. And that is, I was not saying that the adversary will get behind you if you've dealt with issues. I'm talking about if we skirt an issue and if we're consistently fighting the same battle over and over and we just move on because we're not dealing with what we need to deal with, then in that situation, the adversary will come from behind when we're not expecting it and he will come to us. So I'm not saying if you, if you deal with the issues, those issues are done. They're gone. They're removed as far as the east is from the west from us. Those issues are over with. But if we move past an issue and leave it alive, that issue will creep up on us when we're not expecting it to be there. This actually brings me to glorifying one more time in closing the... Father of Yeshua, and it's found in Ephesians 3 and verse 14, in closing. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of Yeshua, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through His Spirit, in the inner man, that Yeshua may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Yeshua which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of Elohim. Now to Him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. 
To him be glory in the congregation by Yeshua to all generations forever and ever. The glory of the Lord, Redeemer of Zion. The glory.